Um, hey, we're going to jump into Hebrews. Not, you know, swing and a miss all morning long so far. All right. Uh, hey, I, the subject of this morning is you can't build alone. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 19 through 25. Uh, say it with me. Say, you can't build alone. We've been talking uh, for the last few weeks just about uh, my shed, really. That's all we've been talking about is the shed that I built in my backyard. And uh, it's an awesome shed. It's a, it's a worthy shed. It's a painted shed. It's got nice trim. It looks got a really cool barn door. I did it all from watching YouTube videos. And uh, it was fun to build. And, uh, and I love my shed. And, and now I want to live in my house forever just because I love my shed. And we've talked about how Jesus is our cornerstone and how important the foundation is. We just sang about Jesus being our cornerstone uh, this morning. So we've been talking about all this stuff about building and using that concept. How many know that concept is throughout Scripture? Uh, where we build, how we build, what our life is like. We are like a building. Um, this morning, I want to talk about the idea that we can't build alone. And that is so true. There was a lot on this shed that I built in my backyard that I could do by myself. Um, in fact, I would say, I would say, you know, 75% of the shed I built alone. Um, I figured it out. I, you know, used like little uh, pieces of wood to hold walls up and different things like that. But there's several times where you cannot do it alone. And uh, one of those times is when you put the first wall up. When you put the first wall up, you've got the foundation laid. You have to have a helper. And thank God I have a wife, and she's buff. Um, and, uh, well, she, she, yeah, she's, she, she is strong. And uh, she was mad at me, but she is strong. And she was able to do it, um, even though at first she didn't think she could, but she succeeded, where we propped the wall up, and she just had to hold it in place for just a few seconds while I ran around and, you know, tacked it in real quick to the foundation. If you've built stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Us guys, you know what we're talking about when we're talking about building stuff, right, Ron? Right, Bob? Home builders? Yeah, we get it. We get it. It's just the lingo of the trade, really, right? You know, I said, ar, ar, ar. All right. Um, but Lindsay helped hold up that first wall, and I, if, if I hadn't had a helper, like, I couldn't have done it. Like, there's aspects of it that just cannot be done without help. That The same is true in our life with the Lord, there are aspects of our life that can't get built with Jesus without the help of the people around us. And a lot of people, they have this misnomer, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Uh, sure. Yeah, that's, that's true. You don't have to go, you don't have to, go to church uh, to be a Christian. Uh, you do have to go to church to grow as a disciple, right? You, you know, you might make it into heaven having never gone to church. And when you get to heaven, you, you go ahead and stand before God and say, well, God, I didn't have to go to church to be a Christian. He'd be like, awesome. You missed out on the life that I had for you. <laughs> Congratulations. Way to go, tiger. So if you want to take that argument to heaven with you, go for it by all means. And I love getting in that conversation because I'll be honest with you, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big millennial topic. And I can talk because I'm, I just made it into the millennial category, um, born in 1983. So I'm still a millennial, um, just barely. And, uh, that's a very big millennial talk, topic. Well, I can have church on the, on the water. I can have church on the, the mountain slope. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That is true. But to grow, but you're going to get 75% there on your own. And there's this 25% that God wants to do in your life through community. And I know those numbers aren't exactly right. You say, can you, can you see, where does that break down the percentages in the New Testament? Well, it doesn't. That's just a made-up thing. That's my opinion. I want to make it clear. That's not good theology. It's just my opinion. Uh, that there's, a, there's an aspect, a percentage of your life with God that cannot be built apart from the people around you. Uh, and listen, I know it's popular to say, well, I can just build my life with Jesus, just me and Jesus conquering the world. Except he doesn't even say that. 
He doesn't say just that I'm, I'm enough, that I'm, you don't need anything else except a relationship with Jesus. Because how many know, you can make Jesus say whatever you want Jesus to say. How many, uh, we love this phrase, right? God told me. And here's a, that's key when you're talking to a pastor and you say, God told me, that's key for don't say other than what God already told me, right? And so you, you kind of put, you kind of handicap a pastor or a mentor or a leader in your life because they really, their, their hands are tied. Well, God told you, so who am I? Who am I to say that God, maybe God didn't tell you that unless it, you know, unless it doesn't exactly line up with scripture. Hey, maybe you missed it. Maybe you didn't see everything clearly. There's community that happens that God wants us to live in. There comes a moment in every project where we need the help of someone else. And you can look at your neighbor right now. You can say, you need help. You can do it a little even more forcefully and say, no, no, I'm, you really need help. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 says this. Let's read together. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For, we who, for he who promised is faithful. And verse 24, and let us consider how we spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together at the, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, verse 25 is probably the most quoted verse in the last month by pastors. Not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, You know, you'll hear pastors, and I I even used it a few weeks ago about, man, the the importance of gathering, right? The the value of gathering together and being together. And I want to break that down just a little bit. I see three statements here that Paul makes. I see three lettuce statements. Oh, it's Hebrews, so we're not quite sure if it was Paul, but most scholars agree that it probably was. But, you know, we'll we'll know when we get there when we can ask him. Uh, Three lettuce statements. He says this. He says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to hope and let us consider, and this is my paraphrase, how to impact others. Three, let us, let us, let us, let us. Us, everybody say us. There's something that happens in the fellowship of the believers that can only happen in the fellowship of believers to the power that God wants it to happen. The importance of being together is vital. And I love that this verse was written and I know that this is challenging for some of us, but, you know, this is, this is the authoritative word of God, Scripture. And this was penned and authored and put into Scripture and authored by the Holy Spirit, whispered into the heart of man, penned before COVID-19. That thousands of years ago, when God said, this is the authoritative Scripture, he put in this verse, maybe not because he didn't know about COVID-19, Maybe because he knew about COVID-19 and he knew that the temptation to separate would get stronger as the days get darker. That as the world gets in more and more crisis, the temptation to be alone, the temptation to isolate. Now, I want to be careful because I want you to know that at the very beginning of COVID-19, how many of you know it was right to stay isolated? 
There was a season where nobody knew this were, where this was going, and I don't know any pastor who's interested in killing people. I still haven't met a pastor yet who's like, you know what I want to do? I want to just get all the sick people together, and I want them all to just go to heaven early. You know, after all, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No, that, I don't, I've never heard any pastor talk like that. I've never heard a pastor that's, not in, that's interested in people dying. And so it was right and it was godly to, to listen and to obey and to say, hey, we don't know that where this is going. And some of those numbers, I mean, astronomical, right? Like if you're talking the population numbers of death, I mean, that's, that's terrifying. And how many of you know one is too many? Like God is willing that you know, none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. And so even in our natural death, there's not any good time to die, right? Um, it's not a great thing. It's sad and it's horrifying. And, you know, even though we trust that they're in heaven and we're going to see them one day, uh, it's still a hard reality. So there was a right time to, to stay closed. But how many of there's also a right time to begin to gather, isn't there? There's a right time to begin to transition away from isolation and into community. And when this was pinned, God knew COVID-19 would be here. He knew that we would be challenged as believers in the, in the concept of gathering, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. These three let us statements, let us draw near, let us hold on to hope, and let us consider how to impact others. I want to submit to you that those are supposed to happen in the gathering, that in the gathering of saints, when we get together, anybody ever ask themselves, like, what is church for? You know, other than, I, I, here's the thing, what you don't find is you don't find a lot in scripture about come, sit, listen, leave. That's not really the scriptural model for how church is to be done. That kind of sounds like a, a rap. I mean, come, sit, listen, leave. If Michael was in the drum cage, I'd have him give a beat right now. Come, sit, listen, and leave. Come, come, sit, listen, and leave. Come, come, come. Okay, too much? Too much? There was a day I, I did do youth ministry in downtown Los, or in inner city, not downtown, but uh, inner city LA, and I had to learn how to rap. Um, I didn't say it was good, <laughs> and I didn't say that it drew me near to the kids I was ministering to, but it happened. You can ask Lindsay. It was before video, thank God. Three things that happen in power when we gather, that as a group we're drawing near to God. As a group, we're holding on to hope. And as a group, we're considering how to spur one another to love and good works. I want to talk about this word spur. This word came alive to me this week. Um, this word spur is the Greek word paroxys paroxysmos. Paroxysmos, all right? You know, I'm not sure I said that right, but I'm, I'm also not Greek. Okay, so give me a break. Paroxysmos. And it means this, it means to incite or incitement. Spur one another on to love and good works. Uh, another passage says stir up one another to love and good works. But the actual word spur is to incite each other to love and good works. And I always find, like, that's, a, that's an interesting word. If you go a little bit further in the definition, you realize that incite and incitement also means to irritate. So I mean, just, just think this is funny, like irritate one another when you're together so that you'll start doing some stuff for the Lord. Start loving each other. Hey, hey, anybody ever get irritated with somebody at church? You're fulfilling scripture. 
right there. In fact, the Bible says the more you're irritated with the people around you, maybe you'll go out and do something about it, right? Maybe you'll actually love a little bit better. Maybe you'll be irritated enough to have to really learn to forgive that person with a different opinion than you, or maybe just hide them on Facebook so you don't have to wonder. Uh, you know, maybe, who knows, like, we're to irritate one another. I, I think find that interesting, spur one another on to love and good works. And if you look at that word paroxym- paroxysmos, okay, uh, how many of you know it kind of sounds a little bit like proximity, proximity. And the idea there is that you can't irritate somebody if you're not close to somebody. You got to get close enough to irritate each other. I like that. I feel like that could, I could just go for days on that idea and that concept because Lindsay knows that I, I have this thing inside of me that the Lord has been working on me since I was probably nine. I enjoy irritating people. And it, I don't know what it is, but my poor brother-in-law, who now pastors in Folsom, he was my youth pastor, and uh, he almost quit the ministry because I was in his youth group. And uh, I, I liked every minute of it. I just liked being a bother. Um, you know, sometimes we'll be in the car, and I'll just be doing like a silly song. Like, I don't even know, I don't even want to say some of the songs I've sung, but I'll just come up with a song like, you know, I don't know. I put joy, you know, joy to the world, and I just put like a different letter in each world. Loy, lu, la, lo, la, lor, las, lum. And I just do everything starts with an L. I'm doing this for minutes on a drive. And Lizzie will say, would you stop? Would you? And something about when she says stop, it, something else jumps up inside of me and says, that's what's going to keep me going. That's fuel. That's like you just put gas in the tank by saying stop. The more you react, the more joy I have in singing a silly song or doing something that irritates her. You know, I had a teacher in eighth grade who sent me to the principal's office because I drummed on my desk constantly and not well. Just tat, 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 tat. James, stop. Tat, 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 tat. James, stop. Tat, 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 tat. I was, a, I was not made for school. Um, and it was, it was, it was very, I, I feel bad for her. But I want to I keep going with this because if you dig a little bit deeper in this word, it means irritate by nearness. So I'm going to irritate somebody by nearness. I'm going to get close enough to irritate them to become sharp, to become sharp. And it's this idea of like a, a knife that gets sharpened. And this just, this is where this study just really started to come alive for me. Because I don't know if you know this, but my parents owned a meat shop. Uh, my dad was a butcher and a pastor. Starting at 14, he purchased a shop. And so I learned how to cut meat for uh, starting at 14 years old. I started you know, chopping beef, you know, and, uh, and cutting, cutting meat. To, to sharpen, to irritate by nearness, to sharpen. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So one person... Any, anything interesting to, to me that jumps out of that is it says, so one person sharpens another, not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't it say, as iron sharpens iron, so Jesus alone sharpens the believer? Doesn't that sound like a better verse? To me, that sounds more like Jesus. Well, G- Jesus and Jesus alone. As iron sharpens iron, so the Holy Spirit sharpens the believer. Doesn't say that. As iron sharpens iron, so Father God sharpens his sons and daughters. No. As iron sharpens iron, so the irritating person next to you will sharpen you to love and good works. What? 
That's a totally different spin on it. And how many know the easiest thing to neglect is the irritating person next to you? And what does that mean? It's not just irritation. You hurt me. We done. You wounded me. You disappointed me. I'm over it. I can't. I'm out of this relationship. I'm out of this context. I will never put myself in that position again. I will never make myself vulnerable again. In fact, anybody ever meet somebody with a little bit of church hurt? How many of you know, ask them the name. That church hurt me. I got to tell you, I've been hurt by some churches, let me tell you. But if you really have a private conversation, I got names. And lists of them <laughs> that I continue to forgive <laughs> every day that I think of them. Lord, oh, I forgive them. I thank you, Jesus, that I forgive them. Oh, I, Lord, I pray the blessing and the favor of God on their life. That everything they touch turns to gold in Jesus' name. That's how I continue to forgive people. But how many know churches don't hurt anybody? People in churches devastate one another. And yet that's the very thing that God says is what sharpens you. The irritation, the friction, the proximity, proxismos. That's how we stir one another up to love and good works. In fact, the, when somebody comes to me, uh, this happens a lot of times with younger folks. Uh, they have a calling of God on their life, and I can think of how many pastors I did this to that I was under. Hey, I think we could do it this way. And that's a great conversation, right? That's a great conversation to have, and a good leader's like, yeah, let me hear it. Let me hear what you have to say. How could we do it? How could we do it better? But oftentimes I said, so I like to turn the question, so what can you do? God's shown you that. Let's agree that the Lord has shown you what we could do different. So what is now in your power to contribute to make that difference happen? That's that irritation thing. There's something about, anybody ever get irritated? In fact, Robert Morris says it this way. He's pastor in Gateway. He says, listen, the very thing that irritates you about the church, talking to a group of Bible college students, the very thing that irritates you about the church or irritates you or frustrates you about the kingdom of God is probably the basis for your calling in the kingdom of God. That that which frustrates you, man, I just hate that people just go to church and they're not discipled. Oh, bet you're called to be a discipler. Bet you're called to do it differently. In fact, I had a friend down in Los Angeles who uh, wanted to do ministry but didn't want to do ministry. He toyed with the idea because he was under a leader and he was frustrated with that leader. He was frustrated with what wasn't going on. And I said, do you think that, and he said, I'd never want to do ministry because I would never want to do it that way. What if God is calling you to do ministry to do it a different way? How I mean, That's the beauty of the body of Christ is that there is something and a different aspect of the kingdom of God. All these churches in Roseville, all these churches in this greater region, everybody's got this unique calling. Yeah, there's some basics that we all need to agree upon, but how many know there's different places for different people because God calls different gifts forth for others to engage with. I want to talk about irritation a little bit more. I don't want to end this conversation. You might not know what this is, but if you were a meat cutter, you would. And I don't know if the camera uh, can see it, but this is like, this is called a three-sided sharpening stone. And uh, it has three little sides to it, uh, and it goes from coarse to fine. And this is how you sharpen like a knife. Because how many of you know, if a knife is not sharp, this is when professionals get cut. This is when they get their fingers cut. And you, you haven't been a butcher for very long if you haven't cut yourself. Uh, in fact, if you were to talk to my dad, who started meat cutting when he was like, I don't know, in his 20s. And uh, if he were to wave at you with this hand, um, you'd say, oh, that's interesting. And um, my kids always like to look at it a little bit and like, huh, 
and the, the tips of his fingers are just gone. They're just gone. And they, uh, they actually took fat from his tushy, and uh, they wrapped it around him to, you know, and so he's got little, like, button-ups, I guess. <laughs> you know, if he were to wave with you from that hand. I know they're not watching online, and, and no one needs to tag them or send this to them either, but he's got these fingers that are just kind of rounded because when he was learning to uh, cut meat, uh, he, was a, he was working for Rayleigh's, and uh, there's this thing, you know, those nice square packages of hamburger that you get? They're like, they're, they're nice and square. Well, there's a way that that happens, and it's a guillotine that goes on the end of the grinder. And the thing is, you never want to stick your hand in there if it gets clogged, because all you have to do is trip this little lever, and it'll just, it doesn't, it doesn't know it's not hamburger. It just, you know, meat is meat, meat is meat. And so he stuck his hand in there, and then whack, you know, the three nubs, and went to the emergency room, and the rest is history. But here's the thing. If you're working with a dull knife, that's the quickest way to cut yourself is that something's dull. The knife is dull because you start to use a little too much pressure. It should just glide. In fact, if your knives are dull at home, get them sharpened, right? Send them somewhere. Don't be working with dull knives because that's, you use too much strength, and oftentimes that knife will slip. But here's how to sharpen a knife, right? Uh, are we okay to do this? I promise this is going somewhere. Um, so... If this, this is called a saber, I know, shocking, right? And you kind of want to put your fingers down here, and you want to just kind of go back and forth along the stone, and you go coarse. You see that? There's a little bit of mineral oil on there, right? You go coarse, and then you go medium coarse right here, and then you go fine. And this is the fine stone. And through a process of running that through maybe 15 or times, you create what's called an edge on the end of that knife. And it'll just, it goes right through the meat, and it cuts like butter. And some of you are really grossed out right now, but that's why I didn't bring a piece of meat up here, all right? Because I didn't, I didn't want to gross you out further. And then what happens if you're in the meat shop, let's say, and your knife, I know, it's not scary, trust me, I'm a professional. Um, if, if, you're in the, if you're in the meat shop and your knife starts to get a little dull, you can do like what's called a touch-up, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the microphone down for this one. And this is called a steel, right? It's not a sword like I always thought it was as a kid. I was like, Dad, let me play with your swords, man. It's not a sword. It's called a steel. And uh, what you can do with this is you can just touch the knife up if it starts to get dull. But you have to cut towards yourself. I see that. But, you know, if you're a professional, then you know, you know what to do. And you just, right? And each time you do that, here's the thing. I don't know. Like, if this knife had feelings, if this knife had feelings, it'd probably say, that's irritating, that hurts. I don't like that. Because you know what's happening? Every time you go like this with the stone, and every time you go like this with the knife, you are taking pieces of metal off of this knife to create an edge. And over time, if you were to keep this knife for 30 years or 20 years, there would be nothing left if you kept, kept it sharp. Because every time it goes through that process, every time it gets renewed and gets an edge on it, it's like, ow, stop it. You're taking something away from me. You're, you're, you're doing something to me that I don't like. But then if the knife had a personality, I'd tell the knife, yeah, but you work for me. You do what I need you to do when I need you to do it, and I need you to be sharp, and so I'm going to take some things out of you to give you an edge. Let's read this verse again, okay? I, I, wanna, th I promise this is good stuff, all right? Even if you're sitting there thinking this is not good stuff. Verse 24, and let us consider how we spur 
how we irritate by nearness to become sharp one another. Let us consider how do we spur, how do we irritate by nearness to become sharp one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Another. You will not reach your fullness as a disciple without others, without the people around you, without getting close enough to somebody, opening up your life enough to somebody that maybe they have the potential to hurt you. But in that process, the hurt is not God's point for you to stay in. The hurt is there to reveal something that's empty inside of you that God wants to fill. How do you know we are to be unoffendable? That when we're hurt, that when we're wounded, though that hurt is real, though that pain is real, we realize, man, I'm, I'm a tool in the master's hand. I am here to be used for something. And so, God, if that, if that hurt and if that wound and if that pain, if that's there to reveal something in me that needs to be taken away so that I'm sharp and I don't wound others, yes, Lord, every day, all day long. God, I want everything that you have for me. And here's what happens. When we come into the house of the Lord and we end up hurting people, it's because too many Christians are dull. And if you have a dull knife, if your life is dull, if your life in God's spirit is dull, if your life in the word is dull, if you're easily offended, if you're easily hurt, if you don't know how to live in forgiveness, if you don't know how to extend grace and receive grace, if you don't know how to open up your heart and be in community with other people, you will become dull and you will hurt people. You'll hurt people every time. Gatherings that make an impact. I want to pivot because we talked about the three let us statements, right? Draw near to God, hold on to hope, and irritate one another to sharpness. My paraphrase. Irritate one another to sharpness. Nothing about gatherings says sit, listen, leave. Nope. I want to talk to you about the before and after part of the gathering that is absolutely crucial. The before and after part of the Sunday morning service, the home group on Thursday night, the Bible study, when you get together with a few friends, all of that is so important to becoming a person who's sharp. Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we talked, we're going to talk in our small groups about the end times, but we talked about this fact that we are seeing the day approaching. Can anybody point to some things that, man, it's not like it was 20 years ago. Man, things are sure different now. There are things you can't say. There are beliefs you can't have. There are systems that, man, I don't know. You got to be careful with the people around you. Sometimes we could call it even walking on eggshells. Encourage one another as the day draws near. There is power in proximity. So how do we encourage one another at the gathering? Well, we encourage through our words. I got to say this, what we say to each other, it matters greatly. I can point to a few times in my life where I was greatly built up and a few times in my life where I was greatly torn down. And every time they used words, they used words to do it. I can think of times in my life where I walked out of a meeting feeling like I could conquer the world. Oh my gosh, I'm going to tear it up for Jesus. And I can think of my times where I walk into the meeting like, oh my gosh, I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel and I shouldn't even deserve to live. I should just go, you know, tuck my head between my legs and be done with the whole thing. I don't even know if God loves me. And every single one of those encounters, 
factors, the greatest factor, words. Words were used. Words were used to, and it produced something in me. Look at Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat of its fruit. We build with our words, and we are being built by our words. This is why constantly in our home, it's like, hey, watch what you say. Anybody have that in their home? Anybody have to watch what you say? Watch how you talk? And it's like, hey, I know that you said the right words, but your attitude was so wrong. Like the way, it's the way you said it. The tone. Not everybody understands tone. How many know, especially husbands and wives, tone's a real big deal. I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, I love you. Tone. Same words. Tone. And women, you know the difference, right? And guys, you know the difference. You know the difference when you're walking outside and it's like, yeah, love ya. It's like, whoa, back, back up. What I do wrong? <laughs> what I need to do right? Yes, we're in counseling, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 4.29. <laughs> Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may be grace to those who hear it. What if Sunday, what if Sundays, what if the gathering just looked like a love fest of encouraging words? That just people were encouraged and they left so filled with commitment to God that after being next to somebody, even though they thought they were going to be irritated, that irritated turned to sharpness. That irritation, that getting around people and that getting rubbed the wrong way incited people. Getting rubbed the, the, the stuff off of you that needed to get off. What if your words tear people down? If, you, if that happens, we've missed the power of the gathering. I think the words before and after service that we have with each other are just as powerful as the words that come out of my mouth when I'm preaching. But it's so much easier to just come and listen than it is to come to encourage than it is to come to have kind words. Have you ever met somebody who just has great things to say all the time? They're great to be around because they don't get into the weeds with what could be and should be and irritation and frustration. They stay connected to the life-giving words of building something up. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Listen, it takes humility to encourage others. Look at Romans 12, three through five. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Wow, you want to talk about a powerful church gathering? When we come together... It's not just to listen to a message. You want to talk about a powerful church gathering is when every member of the body comes recognizing that it is not about me, that I belong to the people around me, that I'm committed to them, that I'm committed to you, that I'm committed to your purpose, I'm committed to your growth, I'm committed to you becoming all that God has called you to be, that when I ask how you're doing, I actually care. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to be able to lift you up. I want to be able to pray for you and encourage you. I want to get down to the real stuff before we have to chat for 10 minutes about, you know, cars. 
or hunting <laughs> or, you know, sharpening knives. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In the kingdom of God, my life does not belong to me. I belong to Jesus, and I belong to the body. I don't have the right to not encourage the body. You know that when we come to church, we don't have the right to not encourage the people around us. I don't have the right to come home irritated and not encourage the body called my family. I don't have the right. I gave up those rights when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I have a vested interest in you being encouraged. We belong to Christ and to each other. Look at Hebrews 30, 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And here's what, coming out of COVID-19, what I pray is the reformation of the church across the whole world, is this everyday idea. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Can I tell you this? Almost everything you see in psychology, almost everything you see in like um, pop psychology or pseudo-psychology comes from the word of God and how to live your life. That the word of God, we, we, um, we love guys like, I don't know if you've ever listened to Jordan Peterson. Uh, he's a cur- current psychologist. Great things to say. Or maybe you've read books about psychology or different things like that. And you, you can pull out nuggets from a lot of these new ways of thinking, right? And how to, you know, get to a place of mindfulness and peace. You know, how to, all, all these different buzzwords. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Can I tell you this? Look at Hebrews 13, 313. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Can I tell you what this is saying? Yesterday is gone, and tomorrow is a myth. You only have today. It's right here in Scripture, teaching us how to be the church. That the way to be the church is to say, I don't have to plan for a way that I'm going to encourage somebody next week. Man, I just can't wait until one day I'm a big enough disciple that I have something to say. I'm going to wait, you know, maybe six years from now, I'm going to really be able to encourage some folks. Man, or we think about the past. Man, I wish I would have been an encourager six years ago. Maybe I would have, you know, maintained that relationship or maybe something would have gone right. Listen, we don't live in regret and we don't live too fixed on the future. We live right here today. And the Bible said that 2,000 years ago, way before some pseudo-psychologist said it or some YouTube video said it. Way before that was happening, the Bible said, hey, listen, live right now. While today is called today, do it now. Encourage one another every day. And I have to say this, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's what happened when we're isolated. And this has been true in our culture. We've seen subscription drugs go through the roof. We've seen suicides go through the roof. We've seen um, dependency on alcohol go through the roof. I mean, things are, are skyrocketing in all these unhealthy departments. Why? Because people are, people are isolated. As believers, it says every day as long as it is called today. Chris, I want to invite you um, just to come up and play if you would. And uh, you don't have to bring the whole worship team. That's okay. But just put a little bit of music behind me as we come to a close here. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the thing. It's easier to get hardened by sin when you're living a life alone, when you're away from others, when you're in your own head, in your own space, thinking your own thoughts, not reaching out, not connecting, not, not talking to others. 
It's easy to get lured and tempted by, well, alcohol or any number of things. The Bible advocates for a today kind of living. Look at Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We have no idea what the next three months is going to look like. We have no idea what the next three years are going to look like. No idea what the next 10 years are going to look like. But here's what we know and what we can hold on to is that scripture was giving us a set of principles to live by. Thousands of, year, thousands of years before this election, <laughs> thousands of years before COVID-19, thousands of years before all the chaos. And if we can go back and look at some of these principles on how we're to engage one another, that that irritation that maybe you feel from another is actually the thing that God is going to use to bring out the best in you, that this idea that my life is not my own, but I belong to a body, that their health is my health, that their encouragement is my encouragement, that how you feel about your life with God and where you're at in your walk with God actually affects my walk with God. You know, that's how a body lives together. I don't look at my, well, that's just my thumb. My dad looking at his finger, well, those are just my fingers, you know? I mean, that's not me. I'm still me. Those are just my fingers. He's like, no, that hurt him. He lost him. His fingers were gone. That was painful. That's a part of his body. Listen, we live, we're called to live as a community in that kind of same kind of way. That, that we hurt when our body hurts. That we cry when our body cries. That when somebody is hurting, when somebody's in pain, when somebody is isolated, lonely, confused, man, that should impact us and say, every day, as long as it's called today, reach out and encourage one another. Look at Proverbs 12, 25. I want to close with this. It says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. What's the cure for anxiety? A good word. Hearing from somebody else around you may be part of our anxiety in this culture, Maybe part of our stress in this culture. It's because our friendships only stay at the level of casual and hobby, and they never go deeper. Oh, we're friends because we both enjoy golfing. Oh, we're friends because we both enjoy riding bikes. We're friends because we both enjoy going shopping. That's for the ladies. I mean, unless it's like Bass Pro and then totally on board. We're friends because we both enjoy getting our nails done or we're connected because we around these superficial things. How many of you know it's when the testing comes that you realize, man, wow, where are my friendships? I thought we were building something, but we were just interested in the same things. We didn't have anything really deep. We didn't have anything that was binding us together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. To encourage another, I must first be encouraged. And God wants to encourage me with his words in my life to dispel the anxiety, to dispel the fear, and to allow the entry of not just how I'm doing, but how I'm impacting the people around me. Let's be a church that spurs one another up. Let's be a church that encourages one another. Would you stand to your feet with me? And I want to invite you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray with us as we exit. Lord, I know that this morning, Lord, there's this sense of caution and it's right. Lord, it's right that we are cautious when we're in large gatherings. It's right that we're cautious and stay safe when it comes to COVID-19, Lord, and to keep others safe. There's, there's good and right things about all of it, Lord. But there is a principle of being together that we have to honor. 
Lord, this principle of spurring one another on. Lord, I, I even admit that pre-COVID, I don't know that we were doing a great job of that, God, of really spurring one another on to love and good works when we gathered. Lord, I pray that that would be the difference in our gatherings moving forward. Lord, that moving forward, if we're going to take a risk to be together, Lord, I pray that it would be more than to just listen to a message and hear some songs. If we're going to take a risk to be in a building with each other, Lord, I pray that it would change our whole lives. That's the way the gathering was designed, Lord God, is in the impact us from the ground up, from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head to transform us from the inside out, this community of faith, this loving one another, this connecting with each other, Lord, this knowing intimately who each other's is and what's going on in our hearts, Lord. Father, I pray that that would happen in a fresh way as we come back to gathering. Lord, in our 9 a.m. and our 10.30, Lord God, moving forward when we start on November 1st, Lord God, I pray that there would be such a sense of community, such a sense of loving one another and stirring each other up to impact the world around us and to be renewed by you. Lord, we're thankful for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we're thankful that we get to be here today, Lord Jesus, and we get to enjoy the company of one another. And I thank you that in this next season, we would go even deeper, Lord, that we would be life-giving, that our words would be life, that our words would be transformational, that they would change hearts and minds. And this morning, I just feel like we're to pray this. If you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you say, you know what? I know that I have not taken a front seat in being encouraged by the word of God and also encouraging the world, world around me. If that's you, I just want you to look up at me and I want to pray for you. And I believe God wants to do a work in your life right now. That he wants to do something in your life right now. Father, I thank you for each one looking up, Lord God. I pray that, Lord, you would make us the kinds of people that know how to encourage because we're so encouraged by your spirit. That you'd make us the kinds of people that have impactful community. Lord, that we wouldn't isolate and lay back just to lay back, Lord God, but we would be intentional with the relationships you've given us. We love you this morning, Jesus. We put you first in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Hey, go ahead, uh, do not high-five anyone, uh, but go ahead and uh, nod and shake and say, man, God is good. And encourage somebody. Give an encouraging word right now as you go. Uh, if you're there at your home and you need a word of encouragement, text me. Text somebody, uh, you know, or give a word of encouragement, and you'll see how the Lord will reciprocate that. Love you guys. Have a great week.